Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome everyone to Too Good to Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject for today's show is the 27 Club. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject then research it and based on that research we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. Related information we find through research in the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true, as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not so good with pronouncing names, we apologize, and neither of us have any particular knowledge of popular culture or modern history. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. I hadn't heard about the 27 Club until fairly recently when actor Anton Yelchin, known for playing First Officer Chekhov in the latest Star Trek movies, was killed in a freak accident. Why don't you provide a description of the 27 Club, especially as it is just a name with nothing official about it? Wikipedia provides a description implying that there is really nothing significant about death at the young age of 27. Quote, the 27 Club is a list consisting mostly of popular musicians, artists or actors who died at age 27. Although the claim of a statistical spike for the death of musicians at that age has been repeatedly disproved by research. It remains a cultural phenomenon, documenting the deaths of celebrities, some noted for their high-risk lifestyles. Names are often put forward for inclusion, but because the club is entirely notional, there's no official membership, unquote. 
How did the 27 Club become part of the popular culture? Here's more from Wikipedia. Quote, Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison all died at the age of 27 between 1969 and 1971. At the time, the coincidence gave rise to some comment. But it was not until Kurt Cobain's 1994 death at age 27 that the idea of a 27 Club began to catch on in public perception. Blues musician Robert Johnson, who died in 1938, is the earliest popular musician who has been included in the members of the 27 Club. According to Hendrix and Cobain's biographer, Charles R. Cross, the growing importance of the media, internet, magazines and television, and the response to an interview of Cobain's mother, were jointly responsible for such theories. An excerpt from a statement that Cobain's mother, Wendy Freidenberg Cobain O'Connor, made in the Aberdeen, Washington newspaper, The Daily World. Now he's gone and joined that stupid club. I told him not to join that stupid club. Referred to Hendrix, Joplin and Morrison dying at the same age, according to Cross. Others authors, other authors share his view. On the other hand, Eric Segelstad, writer of the 27th, The Greatest Myth of Rock and Roll, assumed that Cobain's mother referred to the death of his two uncles and his great uncle, all of whom also committed suicide. According to Cross, the events have led to led a set of conspiracy theorists to suggest the absurd notion that Kurt Cobain intentionally died, timed his death, so he could join the 27 Club. In 2011, 17 years after Cobain's death, Amy Winehouse died at the age of 27, 27 prompting a renewed swell of media attention devoted to the club once again. Three years earlier, she had expressed a fear of dying at that age. An individual does not necessarily have to be a musician to qualify as a member of the 27 Club. Rolling Stone included television actor Jonathan Brandis, who committed suicide in 2003 in a list of members of the 27 Club, Anton Yelchin, who had played in a punk rock band, but was primarily known as a film actor, was also described as a member of the club upon his death in 2016. Likewise, Jean-Michel Basque has been included in the 27 Club list, despite the relative brevity of his music career and, the prominent, and his prominence as a graffiti artist and painter." Unquote. What research has been done on the significance of dying at age 27? Again, Wikipedia is the source. Quote, a study published in the British Medical Journal in December 2011 concluded that there was no increase in the risk of death for musicians at the age of 27, although the sample of musicians faced an increased risk of death in their 20s and 30s. This was not limited to the age of 27. A 2015 article in The Independent also proved statistical evidence, sorry, also provided statistical evidence that popular musicians are not more likely to die at the age of 27, unquote. Why do you think that the idea came from for something strange happening when age 27? I think the first names included in the Wikipedia page tell the story. Those include Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison, who were either extremely famous in their time or following their deaths. Brian Jones was a member of the Rolling Stones, so very much a celebrity. Jimi Hendrix had broken through as an incredible rock guitarist, much admired by his peers. The fictional 1979 movie, The Rose, starring Bette Midler, is based on the life of Janis Joplin, with the main character being crushed under the pressure of her career. 
Jim Morrison, who was a songwriter, who was a songwriter and lead vocalist of the rock band The Doors, became a symbol of 1960s counterculture. It seems that part of the fascination is the fame and fortune doesn't always result in happy endings. Why don't we go through individuals that are thought of as being members of the 27 Club? Rolling Stone magazine has published what they refer to as a brief history, including 20 individuals. The first included is blues artist Robert Johnson. Quote, one of the Delta Blues most celebrated and singular talents, Robert Johnson, recorded chilling folkloric songs about hellhounds, the devil and, and general despair amid swinging, dissonant, sometimes off-kilter guitar lines, the likes of which had reverberated through rock and roll for decades. He recorded less than 50 songs, including one later covered by Cream, Crossroad Blues, Captain Beefheart, Terraplane Blues and the Rolling Stones, Love in Vain, Stop Breaking Down, and performed alongside the likes of Howling Wolf, Howling Wolf Elmore James and Memphis Slim as he rose to fame. You, you want to know how good the blues can get? Keith Richards once said, well, this is it. In August 1938, just a few months after his 27th birthday, Johnson made moves on the wife of the owner of a roadhouse where he was playing, drank from an open bottle of whiskey he was offered and died three, de three days later of strychnine poisoning and pneumonia. He was buried in an unmarked grave in Mississippi, unquote. Being poisoned strongly suggests homicide, but it doesn't sound like the murderer was identified. Keith Richards is known for being a member of the Rolling Stones throughout its, ex its existence, which leads on to Brian Jones, who, who also was an original member of the same group. Were the strange circumstance, what were the strange circumstances surrounding his death? Yes, they, the circumstances were strange, as related by Rolling Stone magazine. Quote, Jones' death at his country home in England in 1969 seems to be the result of his foolish behaviour. To mix alcohol and drugs and then dive into the swimming pool was to swim directly into the arms of death. As clear as this seems, the death of Brian Jones has become one of the most persistent mysteries of rock and roll, with many people questioning the official version of what happened. Even members of the Rolling Stones have expressed doubts. And still the mystery of his death hasn't been solved, Keith Richards has said. I don't know what happened, but there was some nasty business going on, unquote. It sounds like there may be some conspiracy theories. In, 2000, in a 2019 article on the New Musical Express website, nasty business as described by Keith Richards appeared to be a possibility. Quote, fresh evidence has come to light over the alleged murder of the Rolling Stones guitarist Brian Jones. Jones died 50 years ago when he was found dead in the swimming pool of his home, in, home at Cotchard Farm in Sussex. Now, Jones' managers claim the guitarist was out of his mind on the night of, the, of his death on July the 3rd, 1969. Tom Keylock make, makes the claim in a previously unseen interview which will be shown in the new Netflix documentary about the conspiracy theory surrounding Jones' death. Keylock, um, Keylock was interviewed by investigative journalist Terry Rawlings, whose book, Who Killed Christopher Robin, is the basis for the Netflix documentary. Its title is, re its title is a reference to Cultured Farm, 
having been the inspiration for A.A. A. Milne when he created Winnie the Pooh. Rawlings interviewed Keylock in 2019, but his interviews remained unseen until now. In the interview, Keylock is shown telling Rawlings what, what people is shown telling Rawlings what people don't know is that very strong hash cakes were made. That's why they were all stoned and they didn't know what day it was. Official police reports say that there were just three other people present on the night of Joe's death. The guitarist's girlfriend, Anne Wolin, Keogh's girlfriend, Janet Lawson, and builder, Frank Thorogood, has been accused in several previous reports as, re as responsible for Jones's death. Jones's daughter, Barbara Marion, stated earlier this month, July the 3rd, that she believes her father was murdered. She told Sky News, I don't think his death was investigated as it should have been. Former paratrooper Kalo committed that he was present on the night too, along with two other previously undisclosed other guests. He told Rawlings, Janet told me she didn't remember anything as she was out of her head. They all were. I was the only one who wasn't stoned. According to Keylock, he was told by his brother Frank Keylock, a senior Scotland Yard CID officer, that Jones's death was ordered to have been a cover-up because of mistakes by local police. Keogh said, I think the police wanted to make a manslaughter charge, but they were told to forget it. The only one who could possibly have been charged was Frank Thorogood, because he was the only one on, in the pool. But the police said, just forget it. The orders came from the very top not to pursue it anymore, and it never was pursued after that. It was alleged that Thorogood killed Jones in a dispute over money. Jones paid Thorogood £18,000 for work on Cotchford Farm, the equivalent of £290,000 today, but his claim that Thorogood wanted another £6,000 or £67,000 from the guitarist. Jones' death was reopened by Sussex Police in 2009, following further fresh evidence from investigative journalist Scott Jones. But the 2009 report concluded that Jones' death would not be reopened. Sussex Police said, there is no new evidence to suggest that the coroner's original verdict of death by misadventure is incorrect, unquote. The next member of the club, Alan Wilson, was in the band Canned Heat. Alan Wilson's vocals are high-pitched, singing the blues and hits like On the Road Again and, Go and Going Up the Country, which became, an unofficial, which became an unofficial anthem for the famous Woodstock Music Festival. If you haven't heard the two songs, I think they beautifully capture the hippie era of the 1960s. Rolling Stone magazine had this to say about his death. Quote, Can he enjoyed considerable artistic and commercial success crammed by an appearance at Woodstock in 1969. But guitarist Al Blind Al Wilson was a troubled man. Like many in the 27 Club, he was estranged from his family. He lacked confidence and suffered from depression. One of his eccentric habits was sleeping outdoors as, as he did at vocalist Bob Height's house in Los Angeles on the last night of his life. Wilson's body was found in Height's yard on September the 3rd, 1970. His hands were crossed over his chest and there was a bottle of the barbiturate second all by his side. Cause of death was officially given as an accidental overdose of barbiturates, but drummer Fito de la Parra has said he believes Wilson committed suicide, unquote. Well, to continue after the short break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xubn.net. 
Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we were discussing Alan Wilson and his tragic death. Dad, can you please continue with After the Quote? The name Blind Al arose out of Wilson's poor eyesight. Alan Wilson was gifted academically and only had a three-year career in music. That seems to be a very sad life. Who is the next person we are going to discuss? Fellow American musician Jimi Hendrix, who also died of barbiturate poisoning, as Rolling Stone describes. Quote, in the early hours of Friday, September 18, 1970, while staying with a girlfriend in London, Jimmy took some sleeping pills. Nobody knows for sure how many pills he swallowed or whether he understood what he was taking. The drug was Vesperax, a strong barbiturate. Half a tablet was enough to put a man to sleep for eight hours. Jimmy may have swallowed as many as nine. He'd also been drinking. This was foolish and reckless, but it was in character. During his years on the road, Jimmy had got into the habit of using drugs indiscriminately. Jimmy would take a handful of manure, I'm paraphrasing, not even knowing what it was, his friend Deeringhow has said, unquote. What was the official cause of death? It was an open verdict at the, inter- at the inquest, meaning that the death is suspicious, but with no other verdict that would be applicable. Scotland Yard reopened the case in the early 90s, but their investigation didn't lead anywhere. But a new Musical Express article from 2009 suggests that there could have been foul play. Quote, The doctor who tended to Jimi Hendrix on the night he died in 1970 says it is plausible that the iconic guitarist was murdered. John Bannister was speaking in relation to claims in a new book written by Hendrix's former roadie that his manager, Mike Jeffrey, had the star killed. In his book, Rock Roadie, James Tappy Wright says that Jeffrey admitted having Hendrix murdered shortly before he himself died in an aircraft accident. He alleges that Jeffrey hired a gang to break into Hendrix's Notting Hill hotel room and force sleeping pills and wind down his throat. Bannister was the on-call registrar at the now defunct St Mary Abbott's Hospital in Kensington on September the 18th, the day of Hendrix's death, has now backed up the roadie's theory, saying... It sounded plausible because of the volume of wine found in Hendrix's lungs and on his body. The amount of wine that was over him was extraordinary. Not only was it saturated right through his hair and his shirt, but his lungs and stomach were absolutely full of wine. I've never seen so much wine, the Times reports Bannister as saying. We had a sucker that you put down his trachea, the entrance to his lungs, 
and to the hole of the back of his throat. He kept, we kept sucking him out and it kept surging and surging. He'd already vomited up, vomited up masses of red wine. I would have thought there was half a bottle of wine in his hair. He had really drowned in a massive amount of red wine. Wright says that Geoffrey told him Hendrix was worth more to him dead than alive. And he filed a $2, a two, million, life insurance, $2 million life insurance policy on the guitarist shortly before his death, unquote. A London Daily Mail newspaper article dated August the 1st, 2020, goes into great detail about the circumstances surrounding his death, including conspiracy theories. The article reports a low level, low alcohol level in his blood. One source claims that death at the age of 27 was predicted while Hendrix was in a tarot reading. That all sounds rather suspicious. Who is the next famous person that we are going to include from the list? Singer Janis Joplin, whose version of the song Me and Bobby McGee is probably her best-known recording, highlighting her raspy, growly voice. Rolling Stone describes her untimely death. Quote, It is certainly easy to imagine Janis feeling lonely as she returned to her hotel room in Hollywood after her last recording session, as she sang in A Woman Left Lonely, one of the last songs she sang. She knew that her boyfriend was taking her for granted. At around 1 a.m. on October the 4th, 1970, she got her heroin kit out, injected a vein in her left arm. Then she went to the cigarette machine in the hotel lobby, returning to her room with a pack. She closed the door, started to undress, and reached to put the packet on the nightstand. As she did so, she killed over, hitting her face on the table as she fell to the floor, where she was found dead the next day, unquote. Like Jimi Hendrix, her career only lasted four years. Her death was ruled as a drug overdose, but the type of drug or alcohol in her system was not reported. She had a history of drug and alcohol abuse. That would suggest that there are no conspiracy theories. It sounds like the overdose was accidental. The following is from the Ultimate Classic Rock, we- Rock website in a 2018 article indicating that Janice's death was indeed accidental. Quote, in a new book, Joplin's friend Peggy Caserta questioned of the version, that version of events, said that a, a detail she'd seen in the room had always concerned her, and suggested that after having taken heroin, Joplin appeared to have visited a cigarette vending machine in the lobby. Writing in a recent, recently published memoir, I ran into some trouble. Caserta said, I saw a foot sticking out at the end of the bed. She was lying with cigarettes in one hand and changing the other. For years it bothered me. How could you have overdosed and walked out to the lobby and walked back? I've overdosed and you crumble on the floor like how they found Philip Seymour Hoffman. I let it go for years, but I've always thought something is wrong here. She said her opinion was reinforced by the fact she had taken some of the same supply of heroin. Her own take on the tragedy that Joplin, who was wearing sandals with tiny hourglass heel, with a tiny hourglass heel, had tripped on the room's deep shag carpet. Falling and bro- fallen and broken her nose, which led her to as- asphyxiate, unquote. But there's a different version of the scene in the hotel room. What else was supposed to have happened? Rolling Stone, in a 1970 article, describes events when Janis Joplin failed to show up at her, uh, the recording studios. Her producer, Paul Rothschild, sent John Cook, a road manager, over to her hotel. Quote, 
when John Cook got there, it was almost 7 p.m. He noticed Janice's car in the lot and that the drapes in the first floor were drawn. She didn't answer her door when he knocked or even when he banged and yelled. He spoke to the manager, Jack Hagee, who agreed that she that they should go into the room. Janice was lying wedged between a bed and a nightstand wearing a short nightgown. Her lips were bloody when they turned her over and her nose was broken. She had $4.50 clutched in one hand. Cook called a doctor and then phoned Janice's attorney, Robert Gordon. Gordon claims he went over the room carefully, but it found no narcotics or drug paraphernalia. The police were called. When they arrived at around 9 p.m., they too found no drugs or works, but they told reporters Janice had, Janice had fresh needle marks on her arm, 10 to 14 of them on her left arm, unquote. With those conflicting stories, who's the next member of the 27 Club? Jim Morrison with a conspiracy that he actually faked his own death. The following is from the London Star newspaper from December 2019. Quote, Legendary Doors frontman Jim Morrison has been spotted alive decades after his death, according to a video taken by a fan and conspiracy theorist. In a bizarre video of the encounter, the YouTube user explains that he had been waiting at a, in traffic at a red light in Broadway Hill, Schenectady, when he spotted Jim riding a bicycle. They added, they added that when they spotted the Morrison lookalike on September the 16th, they beeped their horn at him and waved back. In the strange clip, an old man in a pla plaid shirt can be seen peeling towards the car on a bicycle fitted with a basket. The bearded bloke, who also had a long mane of grain hair, lifts up his arm and waves cheerily on his way past. The YouTuber says they plan to catch, up, catch him one day for an interview now that they know the area where the man lives, unquote. I don't believe any of that, but what does Rolling Stone have to say about his reported death? Not very much in terms of the circumstances surrounding Morrison's death. Quote, the cult of Jim Morrison grew posthumously, taking off in 1979 when Francis Ford Coppola used the end in the soundtrack for Apocalypse Now. Part of the cult, was, cult of Jim was the coincidence of him dying at the same age as Brian, Jimmy and Janice. The 27 link helped reinforce the idea that Jim had been special, that his death was fated, that there was something weird going on. The fact that Jim's girlfriend had died at the same age underlined the weirdness of the coincidence. The legend was familiar to everybody with an interest in popular music by 1994, when Kurt Cobain decided to join the club, unquote. The quote doesn't say much about the circumstances surrounding his death. No, uh, the biography website provides details. Quote, by the time the Doors released their fourth album, drugs and alcohol were taking their toll on Morrison. His performances were affected and he was unreliable, missing sessions in the recording studio. The next LP was Morrison Hotel, which included the smash hit Riders on the Storm. After recording L.A. Woman in 1971, Morrison decided to take some time off and move to Paris with his girlfriend, Pamela Corson. This is where the mystery surrounding his death begins. On the morning of Saturday, July the 3rd, 1971, Morrison died of a heart attack brought on by drugs. So the simple answer to how he died is a heart attack from using heroin. However, no one is really sure what happened as Pam's account of the events changed several times and her story is unreliable because of her drug use and emotional state. One account, she even lied and said he never took drugs. Morrison's drug of choice was cocaine. He didn't like heroin, saying it made him sick. 
Pam, however, preferred heroin, and the two argued about this as he didn't want her using it. One night, he came to the, to the apartment and saw Pam with some white powder on the table. When he asked what it was, she lied and said it was cocaine. He snorted some and was immediately and almost immediately had a heart attack. Pan panicked, ran for help, and then they put him in a tub of warm water, which helped revive heroin users. But it was too late, and he died of an overdose, though not intentional, of heroin. There was no autopsy performed, as that is only done if foul play is suspected. He was buried within three days in the poet's corner of Paris, or sorry, Paris's Père Lachaise Cemetery. If she lied to Morrison about a drug, she may have blamed herself for his death. She died three days, three years later of a heroin overdose. Another story, another version of his story was him waking up, coughing up blood, taking a bath and having a heart attack. Other rumours include him faking his death and his death happening at a Paris nightclub and his body being taken to the apartment, unquote. We don't have time to discuss every member of the 27 Club, but who else is well known among these included? We can't leave out Kurt Cobain, who fronted the rock band Nirvana, famous for the for grunge rock. Rolling Stone includes the following, quote, Kurt Cobain's body was discovered by an electrician on Friday, April 8, 1994. The answer to the question posed by the authors of Who Killed Kurt Cobain is simple. Kurt Cobain killed himself. He did so with sudden self-inflicted violence, leaving written evidence of his state of mind. Kurt's substance abuse counsel remembered how worried the musician had been about losing his home in a, lawsuit, in a lawsuit. Suicidal people tend to want to make a statement, Niall Stimson said. I just kind of felt he killed himself in his house, as if to say, you're not going to take my house no matter what, unquote. I think that the controversy surrounding Cobain's death is pretty well known. A best-selling book claiming that Cobain was murdered was published in 2004, as Wikipedia describes. Quote, Love and Death, the Murder of Kurt Cobain, published by Simon & Schuster, is a collaborative investigative journalism book written by Ian Halperin and Max Wallace, purporting to show that Nirvana lead singer and guitarist Kurt Cobain, believed to have committed suicide, was in fact murdered, possibly at the behest of his wife, Courtney Love. It is a follow-up to the author's 1998 bestseller on the same subject, Who Killed Kurt Cobain. The book is based on 30 hours of audio tape conversations exclusively obtained by authors between Courtney Love's private invest investigator, Tom Grant, and her and Cobain's entertainment attorney, Rosemary Carroll, who both dispute the official finding of suicide and believe Cobain was in fact murdered. Rosemary Carroll says on the tapes that she believes that the suicide, suicide note was forged or traced. The authors also interview Cobain's grandfather, who believes Kurt was a victim of foul play, and Corny's father, who also believes he was murdered. I think we have to go into the break, Justina. Yes, we'll continue after the short break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net.
And that's too good to be true. And before the break, Dad, you were quoting from a Wikipedia article about Kurt Cobain. Can you please continue? In the book, a prominent forensic pathologist examines the unknown autopsy evidence and claims that the official suicide scenario was impossible. She claims that there is compelling and authoritative evidence that Cobain was murdered, unquote. We have time for one more member of the club. Let's mention Anton Yelchin's freak accident, again from Rolling Stone. Quote, Anton Yelchin did a lot of work in his 27 years, from 2011 to 2015 alone. He appeared in 18 films, not including various voiceover gigs, and yet not nearly enough. A sensitive actor with a penchant for visionary auteurs such as Jim Jarmusch, Drake Dormus, and Jeremy Salnier. His best years had barely begun when he died of a, in a freak accident, pinned against a brick pillar by his own car. But he leaves, leaves behind a versatile stellar filmography, jumping from blockbusters. He made for an excitable checkoff in the Star Trek reboots to horror homage. He was the spine of 2011's Friday Night Remake to small-scale romance. He courted Felicity Jones in Like Crazy. There's no telling what he could have done, but now all we can do is be grateful for what we've got, unquote. As Yelshin got out of, his, uh, out of his car, the vehicle apparently rolled, down, rolled back down his driveway, which was on a steep incline, trapping him. Who else might we have included if we had more time? We only briefly mentioned singer Amy Winehouse, who died of alcohol poisoning, former child actor Jonathan Brandis, who committed suicide by hanging, and artist Jean-Michel Basquiat, who died following a heroin overdose. We could have included more detail on these individuals with more time, but we did, but we did discuss about half of those included in the Rolling Stone article, but didn't have time to talk about those three very much. With that, it's time for the first question. Is dying at the age of 27 a significant event? It really depends on who you ask, since for many people, it's quite young. But for other people, it's not that young, since the person has already re reached adulthood. Have some people achieve what they have wanted in a short lifetime? It's complicated since, yes, sometimes a person will choose to die at a younger age because of their accomplishments. But again, there's always more a person can do too. So some souls slash people feel there's more they could have done even after they passed away, which goes into possible future lives or fulfilling other goals or lessons. Can dying in the 20s result from being too famous, too young? Sometimes, yes. Again, fame comes with a lot of power. Power comes with a lot of different responsibilities for one to fulfill. So sometimes fame can really have an impact on someone. Why did Kurt Cobain's mother, Wendy O'Connor, have a premonition? Or was she just concerned about her son's lifestyle when she told him not to join that stupid club? A little bit of both. Her gut instinct said not to, but she was also being a mom. She was thinking about Kurt, not his two uncles. Correct. Was Kurt Cobain aware of the 27 Club before he died? Yes, he had heard of it before. Why did J Amy Winehouse, three years before her death, express a fear of dying at the age of 27? She just had a natural instinct that she just knew that her time was about to come. Is there actually no increase in risk of death for musicians at the age of 27? 
Yes and no. There are many musicians that fear death at this age, but overall there are many people that die at every single age. Is there no increase in risk of death at the, at the age of 27 for other professions? Not really, no. There's not really specific age associated with a lot of professions where there's not this connection with age and career. Do musicians in general face an increased risk of death in their 20s and 30s? Yes, they do. Why do some musicians feel the need to abuse alcohol or drugs or both? As coping mechanisms, so to be able to cope with the negative aspects of their lives. Is being famous not all it's cracked up to be with a lot of ne negative aspects to deal with? Yes, 100%. Why was the late 60s and early 70s a time when many famous musicians were reported to abuse alcohol or drugs or both? It was an era when it was more cool, you could say, where many musicians used that to connect with their music and make their music in a different way. Did the particular famous celebrity of those who died at the age of 27 lead to the idea of the 27 Club? Yes. Is the idea that fame and fortune doesn't necessarily lead to happiness part of the fascination of the 27 Club? Yes, since many people wish they had more money. But again, just because you have money, it doesn't mean you're happy. Moving on to Robert Johnson, why was his music so influential for modern rock bands? Basically, since it had a more unique sound, so other bands wanted to copy the sound. For bands in the 60s to be influenced by music from decades before must have been really special. Yes, that's correct, where again, music is almost its own language, where it almost speaks to different people. Was the whiskey that Johnson drank in the roadhouse where he was playing three, day, three days before his death laced with strychnine? Yes. Was the motive for the poisoning associated with Johnson making moves on the wife of the owner of the roadhouse? Partially, but also with other affairs he was having. So Johnson was poisoned by someone who was jealous of, of him? Yes. What can we learn from the life of Robert Johnson? Basically, just to live every moment and live in those moments. So nobody knows when it's going to be their last. So make sure to live everyone like it's your last. Was it on Johnson's life path to die at 27? Yes and no. So technically, everyone has a set death date. But it was his wasn't fully written in stone, you could say. Is there anything else you could say about the death of Robert Johnson? Just to be really careful with your drinks. So even today, drinks easily get poisoned or even drugged. So to be very careful with your drinks and only obviously drink with people you trust. That includes alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks. Changing subject to Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones. On the night of his death, had he eaten strong hash cakes and was extremely high? He was high, yes. Had he also consumed a significant quantity of alcohol? Yes. Did Jones dive into a swimming pool while incapacitated with drugs and alcohol and as a result drown? That's correct, yes. Was foul play involved? No. Were there missteps in the investigation that were covered up? 
No, they were not. Basically, the investigation was pretty open and closed, and unfortunately, accidental drowning, especially with impairment, happened quite often. Why was Rolling Stone group, why was fellow Rolling Stone group member Keith Richards suspicious of the drowning? Basically, a sense to him, it just didn't make any sense. And also, when someone goes through grief, there's a denial period. Why was the case reopened in 2009 with fresh evidence but closed it with no, with no new evidence to suggest that death by misadventure had not occurred? Basically, again, it was hard to link all the evidence at the time since there wasn't much found. So basically, it was reopened to re-examine since the case is so famous. Since so many people thought that there were so many missteps in the investigation, it was a reason for them to look more into it. Was dying at the age of 27 on Brian Jones' life path? Yes. What can we learn from the life of Brian Jones? Basically, that your name, especially when you are famous, almost never goes away. So famous people don't only have the responsibility to their fans and to continue to create their own work of art, and obviously in this form case music, but they also leave this legacy that goes on. And obviously to be very careful when in a situation where drugs and alcohol are involved, since many, many people will die because of this. Is there anything else you could say about the death of Brian Jones? Basically, that more famous cases are easily more open again because of their famous nature. So more and more cases need to become more popular so that they are reopened and the evidence is re-examined. Changing subject to Adam Wilson, leading lead singer of the Canned Heat, was he troubled through being estranged from his family, lacking confidence and suffering from depression? Yes. Why didn't fame and success counter lack of confidence and depression? Basically, it's a very hard question, a personal question. So in a way, you would have to directly ask the person. But everyone copes with emotions, body image, and their lifestyle in different ways. Did he realize just how fantastic those songs were? No. Was Alan Wilson's barbiturous overdose accidental? Partially. Did he intend taking a large quantity of drugs but not committing suicide? No, it was an assisted suicide, so he knew he couldn't go through it himself, so someone else assisted him. Was dying at 27 on Alan Wilson's life path? Yes. What can we learn from the life of Alan Wilson? That some people deep down just are going through their own struggles, so it goes to the outside perspective. Everything might seem a lot better than it really is for these people. So it goes back to checking on your friends. And in this case, the other band members were very good about making sure he was okay. But sometimes just asking someone if they are okay isn't enough. It's more studying their behavior and just making sure that they know you are there for them. So Alan was vulnerable? Yes. Is there anything else you could say about the death of Alan Wilson? It raises the point that, again, suicide is something that unfortunately occurs. So check on your friends, make sure that they are okay. And sometimes it's hard for people to understand that music isn't just music to many artists. It's an expression of themselves within themselves. Changing subject to Jimi Hendrix, did he swallow or was made to swallow as many as nine barbiturate tablets? Yes. Had Jimi also been drinking? Yes. Did Jimi Hendrix, during his years on the road, 
have the habit of using drugs indiscriminately. Yes, he did. Why was a large quantity of wine found in Jimmy's stomach, lungs, hair, and on his body? Basically, he was drinking, but there was also a fight with the wine as well. Did the large quantity of wine in his system somehow result from the fight? Yes. Can you say anything about the person he was fighting with? It was more of a random disagreement, so not someone he knew personally. Was a $2 million life insurance policy taken out on the guitarist shortly before his death? Yes. Did the fight occur in the hotel room in Notting Hill? No, the fight started before the hotel room. So basically the initial fight was unrelated to his actual death. Was it the barbiturates that killed him? Partially, yes. It was the combination of both of those. Basically, there was a fight outside, another fight in the hotel room, and the swallowing of the drugs. Will the truth ever come out? It would be very difficult to prove. So since a series of events are not without, not with supporting evidence, there aren't enough clues. Was dying at 27 on Jimi Hendrix's life path? Not exactly, no. It was more unexpected. Was Jimi Hendrix previously involved in a tarot reading that tarot reading that predicted his death at 27? He had multiple readings, and some of them, yes, predicted his death. But obviously, other ones were not totally truthful. What can we learn from the life of Jimi Hendrix? To be careful who you fight with, since you never know who is going to stab you in the back. You mean that figuratively, right? Yes. Is there anything else you can say about the death of Jimi Hendrix? Just that his name is a household name. So years after he passed, his name has continued as a legacy. We'll go one time for one more question, I think. Changing mm -hmm. subject to Janis Joplin in the hotel room on October the 4th, 1970, at around 1 a.m., did she inject herself in the arm with some form of drug? Yes. I think we have to go into the break, honey. Yes, we'll continue after this short break, and you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we're going through the questions and psychic insight about the 27 Club. Dad, can you please continue with the questions? Yes, we were talking about Janice Joplin. Did she then go to the cigarette machine in the hotel lobby, returning to a room with a pack of cigarettes? Yes. At that point, did she fall towards the floor? That's correct, yes. Why was the type of drug or alcohol in her system not reported? Basically, it was human error, you could call it. Was Janice Jomblin found by her friend Peggy Caserta with her foot sticking out of the end of, uh, out at the end of the bed? Yes. Alternatively, was she found by John Cook lying wedged between the bed and a nightstand? No. 
It's a story that included John Cook Force. For the most part, yes. Why was there an alternative story? Basically, just trying to cover up the death. Was Janice Van Dyne with cigarettes in one hand and money in the other, or just money in one hand? Just money. Was it possible for her to actually overdose and then walk out to the lobby and walk back? Yes. Did Janice trip on the room's deep shag carpet, Paul breaking her nose, leading her to asphyxiate? That's not the full truth, no. The drugs were mostly responsible for her death. When Janice Joplin's attorney arrived, why did he report that he found no narcotics or drug paraphernalia? He was trying to cover up what was occurring with her and her drug use, yes. Later, when the police arrived, why did they also find no narcotics or drug paraphernalia? They were already removed from the scene. Was that by our friend Peggy Caserta? Yes. Did Janice have 10 to 14 fresh needle marks on her left arm? Yes. Was Janice Joplin's death accidental, if not inevitable? It was accidental, yes, but these drugs were laced with other substances, so it wasn't really in her control. I mentioned inevitable because of her lifestyle. Was tragedy going to occur at some time? Yes and no again. Some people get very lucky, especially when it comes to their drug use, while others are just more unlucky. So there's always the possibility that she could stop using and become clean. So on this occasion, it was a badly contaminated drug that proved fatal. Yes. Was dying at 27 on Janice Joplin's life path? No. What can we learn from the life of Janice Joplin? That, again, some people use very different coping mechanisms, and drug use is actually quite common, where people use it as a coping mechanism. So again, check in your friends, really monitor them, and especially when it comes to buying drugs, even, not even, the rich and famous always know what they're buying. Is there anything else you can say about the death of Janis Joplin? That for anyone struggling with drug use, it's not something to be embarrassed about, but it's something that you should be more open with your friends. And as a good friend, instead of trying to cover up their drug use, it's time to get them help and support them in a positive way. Changing subject to Jim Morrison, was he seen alive in 2019 on a bicycle at a red light in Schenectady in New York State? No, that was not him. Was it just a coincidence that Jim Morrison's girlfriend died at the age of 27? It was more of a plan where they almost had a pact that they would die at the same age. Did Jim Morrison die of a heart attack brought on by heroin? No. What did he actually die of? Just a normal heart attack. There was no correlation to the heroin. So drug abuse had no effect on the cause of death? Correct. Why did his girlfriend, Pamela Corson's account of the events change several times? Just confusion, so shock and confusion. Oh, excuse me. Was there any reason why the heart attack was triggered? It was just the natural progression of the of the heart or the heart just had too much. So it really wasn't a trigger. It was just time for it to occur. Did his death actually occur in a Paris nightclub with his body being taken to the apartment? Yes. Why did they move the body from the nightclub? Basically to try to make it seem that no one else would be blamed. So they were worried if they left the body where it was, they would be blamed. 
was dying at 27 on Morrison's life path. Yes. What can we learn from the life of Jim Morrison? That unfortunately, that sometimes a person is going to pass away and it's just on their timeline to do so. So other events may seem to have caused the death, but sometimes it's just a person's time. Is that one reason why he went to Paris? Yes. He knew his life was short? Yes. Is there anything else you can say about the death of Jim Morrison? Again, going back to living each day like it's your last, being as positive as possible, and just trying to enjoy life. Changing subject to Kurt Cobain, at the time of his death, was he in a suicidal state of mind? Yes, he was unwell. Was he worried about losing his home in a lawsuit? Yes, he was. Had the suicide note been faked? Yes. Was foul play involved in his death? Yes and no. There was foul play that was partially involved, but wasn't what caused the full death. Based on the known autopsy evidence, was suicide impossible? That's correct. Even though foul play was involved, did Kurt Cobain actually commit suicide? Again, it was assisted, so technically not full suicide, so an assisted suicide. Was dying at 27 on Kurt Cobain's life path? Yes and no. Dying at a young age was, but not at the exact age of 27. What can we learn from the life of Kurt Cobain? Again, it goes back to the mental health struggle, where many people struggle with mental health issues. And again, checking on your friends and getting them help in a more positive way. So there's a lot of support out there for people struggling with mental health issues. Is there anything else you can say about the death of Kurt Cobain? That some of these deaths are more suspicious than others. So bringing light to suspicious deaths, again, goes further than just these famous musicians. Changing subject to Anton Yelchin. Why did he have to die in a freak accident? It was his time, unfortunately. So dying at 27 was on Anton's life path? Yes, it was. What can we learn from the life of Anton Yelchin? That again, unfortunately, freak accidents do happen. So these strange accidents actually happen way more often than people would even suspect. So is there anything else you could say about the death of Anton Yelchin? That it was just a shocking event. So it was something very unexpected to the public. Changing subject to Amy Winehouse. Why did she drink so much that she died of alcohol poisoning? She didn't know her limit. Was dying at 27 on Amy Winehouse's life path? No, not at all. What can we learn from the life of Amy Winehouse? Her death is difficult since she didn't realize how far she was pushing herself and her body. And it goes again to the awareness that alcohol poisoning is a real thing. So you can drink too much that your body can't handle the alcohol and it's possible to pass away from this. So sometimes partying and trying to escape reality is unfortunately what really harms a person in the long run. So she didn't mean to harm herself in any way. She was just trying to escape from what she was trying to escape from. Was she trying to escape from being so famous so young? Yes, and trying to be as perfect as possible. Is there anything you can say about the death of Amy? Anything else you could say about the death of Amy Winehouse? Just that her type of music was singing and she had one of those unique voices that everyone knows. Changing subject to Jonathan Brandis. Could his, could his suicide have been prevented? 
That's a complex question where there's not really an answer to that. So any suicide technically can be prevented. But again, there's no way to change the past. Was dying at 27 on the life path of Jonathan Brandis? Again, yes and no. Dying younger, yes, but the exact age, no. What can we learn from the life of Jonathan Brandis? It goes back on checking on your friends and also understanding that people who are child stars are often very troubled. So being careful what you expose your children to at a very young age, since adults can handle a lot more of the serious world versus children, where they need the structure, need the schooling, and the actual progression of friends. So forcing a child into something too young can have very negative effects. Is there anything you can say about the death of Jonathan Brandis? It goes back that sometimes people pretend to be the happiest from the outside when they are the saddest on the inside. That was the last answer. Is increased happiness as a result of fame and fortune too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. Well, I thought uh, there were some surprises there, uh, especially Jim Morrison, who pr pretty much died of natural causes. That doesn't go with the whole um, fable of Jim Morrison and the Doors. Well, I think overall the 27 Club is kind of a correlation of all these deaths where some of them seem suspicious, some of them are being looked into further. But since all these people were so famous and they all did die at the same age, they basically got grouped together. Yeah, I looked at um, musicians, actors, whoever, at, uh, who died at the age of 25 and 26, and I was going to include that. But really, it was interesting that uh, there, there weren't the names that there were at age 27. Hendrix, Joplin, Jim Morrison, um, so forth. I mean, Kurt Cobain, they were all absolutely household names. And, uh, of course, that's that's the reason for the club, I guess. Yeah, so I think the biggest takeaway I had from this episode was that there was kind of two topics that were discussed was drug use and suicide. And it seems like in a lot of these people's lives, they use coping mechanisms. So they use drug, alcohol, um, different coping mechanisms to deal with their fame. So I think one of the takeaways, too, is that even famous people who seem to have money and have everything going for them can't really handle it fully sometimes, and they reach for these different unhealthy coping mechanisms. I think it should be said, because I was around in the 60s, I wasn't very old, but uh, it was the first time that uh, through popular music that people had that level of fame. I guess in the big band era there were some similar levels of fame, but it wasn't in the same way. It was a different culture, and... Uh, all of a sudden, the ordinary bloke who was talented became famous. And uh, it was even interesting on, on BBC, on, on broadcasting, it was looked down upon uh, somebody actually being interviewed with an ordinary accent. Um, it was totally new. So I, I would imagine in the 60s, it was even more difficult to cope. Well, I think another lesson kind of from the psychic insight is to check on your friends especially right now with the whole 
world situation and there's a lot of negativity out there, especially right now, you need to make sure your friends are okay. So even sending them a simple text, asking them how they're doing, checking in on them, even, you know, stopping by with something as a gift, things like that really do make a difference. So obviously suicide can't be prevented, but it's really important to have those social interactions and just make sure the people around you are doing okay as well. It's interesting you say that because I've been saying that to whoever would listen that this experience recently, I've not experienced anything like it because life has sort of gone on as usual for decades. But the 1960s was a time of chopping and changing, change, dramatic events, uh, things that were totally unexpected, social upheaval and so forth. So it's not quite the same as the 60s, but it's the same sort of feeling. Yes, I think that it just goes back to that in many of these circumstances, it's not that the deaths could be prevented, but you never know what would have happened if the events slightly changed. And also, I think it goes back to that even, obviously, in this case, we talked about celebrities, famous people, but even everyday people cope with some of the same issues we discussed but I would like to also mention our Facebook page at Too Good To Be True with the first two spelled T-W-O and our Instagram page at T-W-O-G-T-B-T. You can contact us there if you have any suggestions for shows. Maybe you know about a different age a bunch of people ended up mysteriously passing away from. Maybe some conspiracy theories. Maybe even some weird creature that might be existing right now. You can contact us on there. And again, thank you so much show the listeners and we look forward to next week's show.